the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. And we'll have an athletic focused show today with Andy McCullough, one of the senior writers focusing on Major League Baseball, who has a phenomenal breakdown of the Tampa Bay Rays and how that whole system has evolved, has been successful, what players think about it, what the front office has to say about it, and how they are projecting yet another 90-plus win season in a tough AL East division. Andy McCullough on the back end of the show. Scott Allen, in just a few seconds here to break down an NBA draft lottery. Eh, nothing great. A couple of notes to bring out of there. Scott will head on. And then a little bit more on the Brooklyn Nets because Spencer Dinwiddie has declined his player option, so now he's in limbo. Their tax situation is unbelievable, and uh, their cap situation is obviously a mess as well. And oh, by the way, their big three stars, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, are staring down essentially expiring contracts with next year, then a player option the year after, which means they're all extension eligible, which means, you know, the, the Nets could essentially lock in $600 million worth of extensions over the next couple of weeks here if they so believe that's the route they want to go. So it's do they lock in the core and try to bring back some depth and maybe add some depth and destroy their tax situation, which Scott will get into, or do they slow play this thing a little bit, just kind of see what they have in this core that they've built for one more year and push themselves up against those player options next off season and see what they have to do going forward from there. Interesting stuff, huge numbers, huge salaries, huge contracts, huge tax implications. Scott's going to break it all down for us right now. But first, today's episode is also brought to you by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, providing all the services you need to top athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring these professionals solutions they need, including access to financing to support prospective NFL and NBA athletes through their draft process. Find out more today at morganstanley.com slash GSE. That's morganstanley.com slash GSE. All right, Scott, welcome back. NBA draft lottery was last night. We'll get to that in a second um, because we're a numbers site. This is a numbers podcast. And I don't know if there's going to be many bigger numbers this offseason in terms of the NBA than what the Nets can do now that they're eliminated, now that the focus turns to the offseason and keeping this core together. I think there's nobody out there, Scott, ourselves included, that don't think a healthy Nets team is walking into this title. I mean, it looked like they were gelling. You know, the pieces were there. There was enough enough depth. Steve Nash was doing a decent enough job in year one to kind of mold this thing together. And then when necessary, Kevin Durant was just going to take over games. I, I imagine they're just going to run this thing back. Can you kind of speculate as to how much they'll run back? You know, I think that the, I guess the piece many, many people may have forgotten about is Spencer Dinwiddie, who was injured geez, six months ago now, out for the season. He did help. He holds like a $12.5 million player option, which reports already say he's definitely punting on that. Does Yeah, he's already declined that. Yeah, is he is he now going to free agency? Is it about, hey, it's a weak class. I can probably up my ante and find myself a bigger role on a, on a different team. Or is this team just too good to quit if you're Spencer Dinwiddie? Depends on how he thinks he's going to fit in there. Um, you know, there are a lot of options for him. He can go to free agency and go pretty much pick a team and potentially 
uh, you know, go to a team that's going to have ample cap space to just bring him on. Uh, the Nets have to be careful because if it, with the amount of money that they're already allocating to their roster, they can't facilitate a sign and trade because they're already over right. the apron, which would hard cap them. So they can't facilitate a, a, a sign and trade unless they move somebody else uh, of higher caliber money to, to lower themselves. But even with that being said, you know, they could sign Spencer Dinwiddie back to using his bird rights and then potentially move him during the season if they they chose to. What what is his value here versus what is it on the open market? Just kind of spitballing. I mean, is he a twenty to twenty five guy? No, I, I think he's probably falling somewhere between the the fifteen to twenty mark. Okay, his cap holds around seventeen. I've seen a couple projections saying he's probably down around fifteen, especially coming off of that injury. Right. Um, so, so is it less, is it less to stay, Scott? Is it less to stay in Brooklyn? The fact that the, the Nets have his bird rights, I mean, they could go a little higher if they chose to, mm-hmm. to, to, you know, incentivize that if he goes out into the free market and they say, yeah, we're going to give you 15, but the Nets say, no, we want your services. We're, we'll give you 17, 18, um, he may have to want to come back to the Nets because, you know, like I said, if they sign him, they could always flip him at the trade deadline to go to a team to, you know, move some of that money down. That team, this team, the Nets, they are going to be hurting very much in the tax uh, I was just about to say, they're already over. They're already over to the point of where it probably doesn't matter to them. But my next question was going to be this, Scott. Are, Are they going to move on from somebody? to kind of clean up the tax situation a bit, or is it really they just don't care right now? I think if you're the front office and the owner, with what you just saw this past season, knowing that if every guy, meaning Durant, Harden, sure. Irving, are all healthy, you're. I think you you swallow the pill of what this tax bill is potentially I agree. going to be. And oh, by the way, that, you could look at it the exact opposite way and say, well, they're not going to be healthy. <laughs> They're just at stages of their career where at that some too. point, maybe multiple times throughout next season, they're just not going to be healthy. So to me, that's how I'm addressing this offseason. To me, the, the, the extensions for the big three are secondary to the situation we have right now, which is we have to be adequate enough to be able to tolerate each, each one of these three players going down at some point in 2022. Because it's going to happen. Let's just assume it's going to happen. So, you know, can Joe Harris be a, a an, an adequate substitution for James Harden for 15 to 20 regular season games and maybe a couple of playoff games? The answer has to be yes, because they really have no out for him right now. They're not trading Joe Harris. Um, I don't know how, what you do with Kevin Durant. I really don't. Under, I, I don't know. You know, I think you might just have to swallow that pill. But you can certainly do a better job of of filling in Kyrie Irving's blanks. And maybe that's the most important one because not only does he have this ankle injury now that could be persistent, we've seen high ankle sprains come back and back and back, but he has, you know, Kyrie time, which I'm, I'm not knocking. He, he, he has some mental health days off that he asked for that he requires. And that's perfectly fine, but the Nets need to be able to cover that. And quite frankly, Dinwiddie is good coverage for that. You know, can they find a cheaper option for that? Maybe, but Spencer, I think, has done enough for this organization 
to warrant being that pivotable, you know, pivot, maybe the best six man in the game, if that's what he's going to be. Um, so I do think that it's about depth first right now, because when the oh, big absolutely. three are healthy, they're the best team in basketball. But it's 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 untenable to assume that they're going to be healthy is the way I would approach it. Yeah, that absolutely everything you said is spot on. And if they can persuade Dinwiddie to come back to be that second point guard behind Irving for when he needs to take those days off, you know, they, they didn't have him all season. So it's sort of an upgrade as it is anyways, if yeah. they can re-sign him. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have to move, you know, Claxton, but he's on a, a very low value. You got to sham it. DeAndre Jordan. He's not movable, right, Jordan? I mean, that's the one I'm staring at here. And I'm just think, I, I mean, there's a connection with Harden and, and Durant. And, you know, can you carry almost 10 million just to kind of keep a guy around who's who the other teammates like a lot? I mean, because he's barely playable. Yeah, he, he may be a guy that if you want to move him, uh, I, I'm not sure what the Nets pick situation is, but that might be something where you have to attach a pick to. Yeah that trade with Jordan to, for the team to take on that and then do whatever you want with him, whether they buy him out at some point or just wave him and, and eat the money and potentially the Nets get somebody back that is a, of caliber to, you know, step sure. up. But they're also going to have the situation of, you know, we do, do they run Blake Griffin back and, and see if what they had in the latter half of the season – is a true Blake Griffin sort of like what we talked about uh, a week or two ago? Um, did did Griffin save himself so that he had something left in the tank and he's showing what was left? Uh, do you bring back a Jeff Green? These guys are all on minimums. And so, I mean, obviously you'll have non-bird rights on them, but uh, most likely those guys might either be minimum guys again or they're going to have their tax level <laughs> – Tax mid-level. We got to talk these numbers quick, man, five, because you're five, talking eight. about bringing guys back, and and maybe that's not even where we should be starting. These guys, they have eight rostered players with 156 million dollars allocated to to cap and tax. Yep. I mean that's that's 20 plus All million, right. 26 million north of the tax threshold on with eight players. They have to fill four roster spots still. Yep. I well, mean this well, is it, this is a devastating on. situation. Yeah, that and that's four roster spots to get to twelve, plus three more to get to fifteen right, for your summer for roster. roster. That's right. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so I ran these numbers because I knew you were going to go down this road. So, to to put it out there, we've been working on a management tool where you can go in and play, and and, and it does all the the math for you to see. So I went in and I started tinkering, and th this is going to be coming here fairly shortly. We're we're finishing up some beta testing. Sure, NBA GM roster tool, the, the, like we yeah. have at the NFL. It's been a long time coming. Scott's been working his ass off on it. <laughs> so so I, I ran these numbers to see what is this tax bill going to potentially be, um, and it, it, the numbers are astounding. Now to to give you a comparison, the Golden State Warriors this season. Their tax bill is approximately 117 million dollars. Is what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Keep that in, keep that in mind. So and Brooklyn's was over 100 some, this year. Brooklyn's yes, also paying yes. right now over uh, reportedly yeah, over 100 over, million in tax bill. So correct. this is going to be year two of tax hell for them. So if they just re-sign Spencer Dinwiddie, let's call it 
15 to 17 million, mm-hmm. their tax bill will go up to just with his amount up to $154 million. <laughs> so we still don't have Blake back. That, we we that still don't have the first round pick allocated. Like there's a right. lot of moving parts here. Holy so, cow. So I, I just added him to see where that was going to take us. So then I went the next step of saying, okay, Bruce Brown Jr. has a qualifying offer of 4-7. Let's say that he signs that. Uh, they offer it, he signs it. And add in the rest are minimum players. That's getting you up to your 12 players for your minimum so roster. Blake, that Jeff you- Green back on minimum deals. Right. I could see that, yeah. That gets you up to $174 million in a tax bill. Okay. That, that's, a, that's just 12 players on your roster. That's not even filling out the rest of your roster. Let's add in their 2021 first round pick, which is a it, pick 27. Uh-huh. That's allocated about $2 million. Then add two more veterans at the 1 6 mark. And or you add in your exception tax melody side, right, at 5.89 approximately right now. All of that being said, getting you up to 15 on your roster. $238 million in a tax bill. <laughs> they better win the freaking championship. <laughs> if if you do not sign Spencer Dinwiddie back and you do everything else, you do your tax MLE, you do your restrictive free agent with Bruce Brown, and the rest of the roster is complete minimum salary guys, that would be about $140 million in tax. <laughs> so, And I don't think that's good own- enough. I don't think that's good enough. I think they have to make at least one or two legitimate additions in terms of depth. One, one of which could be Dinwiddie returning, but I think they're going to be upwards of 200 million based on what you just did because they have to make a legitimate bring back or add here, which is crazy. I I, I do think there's probably a trade here. I do think there's probably yeah. a trade. I, I think at some point they're going to have to facilitate that, but yeah. keeping in mind if they sign any of these guys on cap holes, whether it's Spencer Dinwiddie or you know Blake Griffin, Jeff Green, none of those guys can be moved until December. Yeah. Uh, if if. But I don't think that's a bad approach. I think I think you can kind of split the season in half here. If you're I, Brooklyn, I think I think you're right. I think you bring those guys back. Maybe you get their stock up. Yeah. In the beginning of the season, you play them. You give you know Durant, Harden. You give those guys. That's it. A, a, a you load manage. That's exactly it, Scott. You load manage those guys, three. Because some of these guys have already opted into playing in the Olympics, so that's going to be extra mileage <laughs> nice on point. those legs. So I think you do slow play now that you're going back to a normal regular season. You give these guys enough time to get their stock up so that once December 15th and later hits, get closer to the trade deadline – those guys' stock are up, and you can potentially flip them or do whatever you need to after the fact. Because it's important, and you say it a lot, that the tax doesn't come to roost until the end of the regular season. So uh, Brooklyn, has, Brooklyn has all season to to maneuver yeah. and manipulate this thing down as much as possible. Um, so they can go big yeah. to start, but but I bet at the deadline there's some sort of movement. Yeah, and let's keep in mind, this: we had this exact same conversation with the Oklahoma City Thunder right. a few years ago when they had Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. They had all of those super large salaries. I believe, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, their tax bill was up around $166 million. Mm-hmm. And then they were able to facilitate some trades, and, and they were able to get that down substantially, down to like $61-ish million 
in tax bill. So they they did some manipulation to get that down. Brooklyn, they're they're going to be able to get it down, but not substantially. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're really going to want to. I really don't. I, I don't either. And like I said, as we started, it, knowing what you saw when you had all three healthy, plus all of the mm-hmm. guys that filled in, the Bruce Browns that made a name for himself, Jeff Green filling in, Blake Griffin filling in, um, you didn't have a Dinwiddie. It, their roster could be deep and be intact as long as all these guys can be healthy, and that is the key, being healthy. Yeah, I um, think seeing what it, Golden State did this year, Scott, with a with a patched-together team and fringe playoff expectations and still them not really caring about their tax situation, that's just the new model for these bigger markets. When you're there, you're there. You just deal with it. Well, you know what I mean? And you can, you can rip the Band-Aid off a couple of years later when it's time. Cor- correct. And with that being said, Brooklyn is trying to compete with the Knicks. So you have a well, unique Isn't situation. that a landing spot for Dinwiddie? I was thinking that in the back of my head. Like, that's, yeah. a, that's a spot he probably goes. So you're right. There's got to be some competition there. Well, I mean from the franchise. Fandom. You know, sure. Fandom. You have Los Angeles, who has two teams, and you have New York, who has two teams. Brooklyn has always been that, you know, second second best favorite brother. Don't in, tell them the last 10 years. The Knicks have been garbage. <laughs> but they're but relevant. I, I've just, but, but I've listened to a few people that ha- are diehard Knicks fans, and the city is always going to be a Knicks mm-hmm. town, Knicks city. If Brooklyn can do what they can, they'll at least chip away at that. And I think if you're front office and you're the owners, you want to chip away as much as possible. So I think you run this back as much as possible next season, knowing that you do have a few options here in the future, which we're going to get going here with uh, Harden, Durant, and Irving have player options for the following 2022-23 season. So there are some, you know, do they ride this out for this year and those three guys just happen to opt out and go their separate ways and well, free let's talk agency? About it. Yeah, let's talk or about these extensions. Go extended. ahead. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, look, they all have injury histories. So you have to think that all three of them would be strongly considering extensions right now. Let's just lock in our twilight year of, you know, of salary, even though you could nickel and dime on a two plus one or something like that and, and really kind of maximize your earnings. Durant's already told us, he's shown us twice He's willing to take less than the max. I mean, you've, you've been a big, big advocate for that. Uh, we thought LeBron was going to continue to do that. He ended up maxing out in Los Angeles for his last contract. I, is it just going to be another version of this for Durant? A four-year extension, maybe a little under the max to kind of give some wiggle room for those vet mins they have to add every year like this? And, uh, and maybe much of the same for Harden. You know, I think Durant can go four years. I think Harden can go three years, right? I, because he was added... I. It's, it just seems like, I mentioned it was secondary, but to these guys, because of their history, because of their age, because they probably loved playing together here, it just makes sense. Let's just get this all done and out of the way right now, right? Potentially. Or do you think control and power is everything? Especially with 2023 cap in front of them. I mean, that's, that's something I haven't even seen really noted with these, with this off season. Well, our, our yeah, players going to align the, themselves with that cap burst. Well, cap burst, in addition to 
after the 2022-23 season, there's an opt out out of the CBA, CBA uh, sure. or or just expires in the 2024 off season. But knowing that the 2022-23 season, this CBA could be ripped up. We don't know where it's going to go. We know there's been some you know financial things that have come up with the maxes and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, what we're dealing with here is like you said, these guys have injuries uh, or injury history. So moving forward, a do the Nets want to invest in in these players long term? Where towards the back end of their career here, they they may be even more injury prone, or do you? If you're Brooklyn, Allow you just them. can't think that way, though. You can't, and we've talked about this on all, all sports levels. You, you have to think in the now, not six years, five years from now. But the, the salaries that these guys could be locking in is—I'm <laughs> doing it right now ridiculous. in my head. Okay, so so let's start with James Harden. Don't even don't even break it down, Scott. Just give us what the average annual salary would be. For Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving on their max extensions with Brooklyn, because those numbers alone are freaking phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, Harden would be around 52, 53 million. 53.6 on a three year yeah. extension. Keep going. Durant, Durant would be probably around 50. 49.5. 40, yeah, I, I don't have the numbers. And Kyrie, 45.4. You are locking in. I, I, I can't believe this. This is this is ridiculous money. You are locking in over the next four, four to five years based on the extension starting starting date, $148 million per year for three for three players. That's nuts. Yeah. And you're right. These yeah. guys and aren't spring talking, chickens. These guys are 35, 36 at that point. Yeah. And you're talking Harden, Durant. They're, they're going to have... Salaries at the back end of their of that deal, that extension of 53, 57, 51, 54. Irving's would be 46 and 49, almost 50. Yep. So do you want to pay those guys around $50 million in their 37, 36 age? Durant would be 38, making $57.4 million. Yeah. Do you, do you want that? I, I don't know if the Nets would necessarily want that. Now th this is if they just signed a full three or four years, they don't necessarily have to do that. They could just sign yeah. a two year extension just to push sort of like LeBron has done in the past, just push it down one more year in, in Harden's situation. His player option is larger than what the maximum would be. So he automatically has to, opt into that player option at 47 um, mm -hmm. and, and then he would have his increase from there. So, you know, the max, if we're talking about how much he would be able to add on is 161 million for three years, Durant, he can add on four years and it would be about $198 million. Mm -hmm. Irving would be at Four years, one hundred and eighty million dollars. Yep. So you're you're investing quite a bit of money now. Durant, because he's older than these two players, he he has a little bit of a, a sticky situation that he has to be careful with when they're right. negotiating because there's what's called the over thirty eight rule, and we don't have to go down that road. But it it's a it's a safe loophole for teams so that if you sign a player and then you 
he at some point during the contract retire. Yeah. They're 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 not paying them having to deal with that in, in retirement. So there is a situation where, you know, he may do a shorter term and then sign a longer term, however he wants to do it. But, you know, th- this is why I say the Nets have to It's all about the Nets. Don't you agree? Because if if these extensions are offered, all three of them say yes immediately, in my opinion. Oh, I, I think you're no more, absolutely no more nickel and diamond, no more. Well, I can get this in two years. What if I want because because you sign these contracts, if it sucks in two years, you just you just Anthony Davis yourself out of there. You James Harden yourself out of there. Right? Yeah. Uh, I mean you're right. That's and, it. And just lock it in. Even if it, we're talking, you know, 42, 43, 45 million dollars, we've seen that anyone can be traded at this point. Yep. It doesn't matter what the salary is. Teams are going to take a chance on those players. So if you are those three players, yep. you absolutely sign that money, locking in that guaranteed money past that, you know, one player option. You just build it in. And even if it's two more years that they offer you, you take it to lock that money in because, you know, Durant is an, uh, an Achilles away from being completely done forever. Don't say it. And I, I don't want to see it because, yeah. you know, what we saw from him in the latter half of this season was just amazing, What he, especially in the playoffs here. So, but from the net side, I think you have to offer it. But, man, they are swallowing an extremely large pill knowing what that tax bill, in addition to – the salaries that they're paying and, and keep that in mind for those that are listening, the tax bill, those numbers that I was rattling off, those are in addition to what they're already having to right. pay salaries of those players. Well, let's, let's just talk about this past year. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, nuts this past year either. I mean, like I said, they're sitting on a hundred million dollars as, as their tax bill. And they paid out what Scott One sixty-five just on the active roster. 166 total active roster plus the dead money. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a $266 million season. Correct. 266. So, uh, yeah, two to three year span here. I, I mean, it is, it is costly to pay for championships. And when you don't, when these injuries kick in, like they did this year, it's devastating. I mean, we think about it from a, from a fan perspective and it's one thing, but imagine having to shell out 266, and then seeing Kyrie Irving get you know step on a leg, it's just devastating because you know it's done. You know everything well, you just put into the middle of the table is gone. The other thing they have to be careful about is they were taxpayers this year. If they extend these guys to Good three question. or four years, they're they're going to be a tax repeater in 2023-24 season, which means their bill would be even worse. Now whether or not those players would be on the roster and by then is to be seen, but it's something to keep in mind that. Yeah. I think it's way less about that internally and more about, we just got to win the freaking championship next year. Don't you agree? Right. I, I do agree. You have to do the now because look at what happened to golden state a few years ago. Yes. There are tax repeaters because of who they've signed recently. And some of those extensions are kicking in, but you know, with, Durant having gone there, everyone was running numbers of if Durant does this in in five years, this could be their their tax bill. You got to pump the brakes to a certain extent on that because, look, he left after 
two years there mm-hmm. in, in Brooklyn. So same thing could happen here. The Nets could potentially not offer an extension and they just have to decide if they want to opt in or opt out. It'd be a lot out. more fun and, that way. If they're dangling on player options next off season, I'd like to see it. Can I, can I give you a final thought? I think, I think sure. it's 100% probable that they move DeAndre Jordan and their 2021 first round pick somewhere in the next couple of weeks. Oh, I would not be surprised. As and just a straight cap dump, Scott. And not bring anybody back? Probably but not. You'd have to... That's the tricky situation. You could the, find a team that can afford that. Yeah, but to just take to take on... You're still going to have to do a salary matching. The only team that I think could even potentially take on would be... Mm, the Knicks have cap space, mm-hmm. but not enough to take on in in full... So there's no other team that could take on Jordan just as a straight and not have to match and just send cash or a second round. The offseason hasn't even started and nobody can handle nine million. It's crazy. <laughs> this league is so well, cap well, messed up. Well, that's because you have to keep in mind, this is what happened with the Kemba Walker trade, which, you know, shout out to Keith Smith for writing up that mm-hmm. that review on Oklahoma City and, and Boston trade. The money right now that is being traded is based on the 2020-21 season. Mm-hmm. Until after August 1st or August 6th after the moratorium is done, then is when the trades would count for the 2021-22 money. So you could move Jordan now plus the pick. You may have to bring something back in a salary matching situation. Right. It could be an upgrade depending on what you get back. But yes, they, now that they're out, they can facilitate a trade with whatever they want. And, and in some cases, it's smart because some of the salaries are increasing the following year. So if you can lock in and make a trade now. All right. Jordan's actually goes salary, down. Jordan's actually declined. So okay, in that case, so waiting till August makes sense. Not to mention you yes. can let some of those teams renounce some cap holds and free up some space if you have to. Um, okay. This is a team to watch for sure, obviously, and not just because of, you know, do we think they have to add more depth, but also what happens with this big three? Do they lock them in for for the next three to four seasons of just ridiculous numbers, or is it going to be a waiting game? And will will we be having this conversation with a lot more, you know, fighter under the oven next off season when there's three player options sitting there waiting for us, sort of like we're heading toward with Kawhi Leonard here, by the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's essentially the discussion we're going to have if and when the Clippers get eliminated in the next couple of days. That's that's the big enchilada now that he's injured and has this player option. What the heck is to become of the Clippers? Because a Clippers team without him, they're just not contenders in that West. They're just not. So right. he's, a, yeah, and, he's the and, big chip this offseason in terms of the option. And you make a good point about the, the player option there because if the Nets do not offer extensions to one or all three of those players and they do go towards that player option. They may be trade deadline candidates where they could flip them for something instead of losing anything. There, there are so many scenarios because, be or if, if, if a player, as soon as a player exercise that player option going towards that 2022 off season, if once they exercise that player option, they can be traded immediately. They can't be traded on that player option going in until it's exercised. So as soon as that's exercised, they could trade them in that offseason immediately. And yeah, if they chose, a, that's so way down the line are, here, sir. 
(laughs) You're right. Right now, the Nets are operating for next season only, but they do have to figure out, do they want to lock these guys in or do they want to play chicken going into that player option? Um, Do they want to pay out all of that money that we just uh, spieled out? Mm -hmm. Or um, do they, do they wait one year and go from there? That's the question. It's going to be interesting to see what that front office does. There are four teams that we are projecting over the luxury tax threshold as it stands right now for next season. Golden State, who, as it stands right now, has a $120 million tax bill for next season. Brooklyn, as you mentioned, with almost $70 million in terms of a bill. The Clippers at about twenty-two, and the Bucks at about twenty-one. Those four teams are already have already maximized and then some their cap and their tax allocations for the upcoming season. So will there be movement to, to modify that, to, uh, to slow that a little bit? Possibly. I think all four of those teams could make a move. Could, I mean, I'd put the Warriors maybe at the top of that list as moving pieces because of what could be coming back to that team. But uh, you know, two of those teams can still win the, the NBA championship. So we'll see, we'll see where we get with that. All right, good stuff on the Nets here, Scott. Um, any thoughts real quick on the NBA draft and how the lottery sort of unfolded? It kind of felt chalky to me. You know, you're going to hear the boring kid Cunningham stories to Detroit now, and, yep. you know, can that be the piece that finally lifts that franchise? I know Orlando snagged two picks because of the uh, Vucevic trade to the Bulls, I but think, they're I f- think, fifth and eighth, which could be disastrous. Yeah. Well, it, it, A, it worked out, you know, Golden State, retain that top seven pick from Minnesota because it didn't have to convey back Mm. to Minnesota there. So, I mean, Golden State is again in the top 10. They get that pick. Do they flip it for, you know, package it with something to get a player back because they don't, you know, everyone is saying unless you're in the top five, everyone else is just there. So we'll see what Golden State does there. Toronto at four, that, that's very intriguing I for agree. whoever falls at four because that's a franchise that, you know, they they can quickly turn things around from what their season was this year depending on what that pick ends up being. Knowing that you could retain Kyle Lowry or is Kyle Lowry going to be going to another team in free agency here? So that I, that pick is the most intriguing to me out of what happened yesterday. And, and you know where I'm seeing <clears throat> Toronto being mock drafted right now? You know the player? Jalen Green. Yeah, I like that. From the G picture. League Ignite, by the way. The academy that you talked about not too long ago here on the, yeah. on the show, Scott. Um, could be the first real superstar to come through that academy system, become a lottery pick, and oh, by the way, drop himself on a pretty decent team if they can retain some of those pieces. Yes, absolutely. All right, good stuff, Scott. Thanks it, a lot. Yep. All right, thrilled to be joined by the senior writer for The Athletic, Annie McCullough, who did a great piece, a deep dive into the Tampa Bay Rays, one of the most, I guess, confusing, beloved, and winning franchises over the past few seasons in Major League Baseball. Andy, welcome to the show. Great piece on this. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. uh, You know, obviously, I can understand what sparked the piece. This was a team that's, you know, at one point was 20 games over 500 this year. And it's just the question of how are they continually doing this, right? How are they moving so many pieces? How is their payroll so consistently low into the 20s every year? And yet, you know, in a division where on paper, they're the third best team almost every single preseason, here they are projecting to 90 to 95 wins yet again. 
Um, if that's the, the mantra for doing this piece, what's the takeaway? I mean, what is the overall headline that you can pull out of this piece that says, this is why the Rays are the Rays? Yeah. I mean, I wish I'd filed it a week ago. Well, I did file it a week <laughs> yeah, ago. Yeah, they've nosedived since, right? Yeah, they've lost seven in a row, actually, since I filed the story. Um, yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> for – I mean, there's a lot of uh, things, I guess, that went into it. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you can – totally explain what the Rays are doing because a lot of the stuff is proprietary, but they have certainly figured out which elements of the game are the most important to prioritize if you want to win on a budget. So basically like what can we spend uh, on run prevention that will create a base essentially where we're always going to be competitive. Um, and so they, you know, they figured that out that obviously it's going to be on the run prevention side rather than the run creation side. Um, and sort of the idea, I mean, for me, like what I was really interested in was the human cost of kind of what they're doing because they shuffle so many guys in and out. And, um, you know, so I thought it was worthwhile to talk to guys who've been through there, uh, in years past about the experience, you know, um, and cause I, I think the central tension that they are dealing with, I mean, Eric Neander said it like that two minutes into our, like our first conversation. It's basically like they care for players and they try and make them as good as possible. And then they are ruthless transactionally. And <laughs> I think their entire, you know, sort of organization, you know, deals with kind of keeping those two poles um, from, you know, overtaking one another, I guess, if that makes sense. It's fascinating. You're right. The, the, the human side of it, taking care of the mental aspect of not, not only a, a franchise that, that that doesn't pay, but a franchise in a tough division and a long season. I mean, it's is it because they're doing things a little bit differently? Is it just a kind of a fresh look for these players? And I know that many of the players they bring in are sort of misfits or or outcasts from other organizations. So just giving them a chance to perform at what they do is really enough for a lot of these guys. But it's a long season, and I, I have to imagine there's animosity, you know, with the way that the Rays handle, you know the openers and the starting pitchers that go four to five innings and then are pulled consistently and, uh, you know, players that are being asked to play all over the field and, and the shifting in the, but seems to be more analytics used here than anywhere else. I mean, for, for years and years and years that has to grind on some of these guys, but you interviewed, you know, a multiple players here. And my favorite part is that it seems like everyone had to collect their thoughts first before they answered the question to you, which is, <laughs> which is there has to be something in the back of their mind that's thinking, Man, that was difficult, but at the end of the day, we won some ball games, right? Is that the is that the response? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think Aaron Loop said it. You know, like you can't knock it because they win. Um, and I think that if this team was closer to five hundred every year, there'd be a lot more animosity. Um, I think that a lot of the players they get are you know sort of undervalued assets from other teams. You know, so like you get a guy like Pete Fairbanks who has a nine ERA with Texas. Um, you know, the, the Rays built him up so that, you know, he has said this, he's talked about how, you know, he didn't really believe in his ability until he heard Kevin Cash saying it to him for, you know, weeks on end. And all of a sudden, you know, he's a guy pitching in the postseason and having success. He's a guy who's got like a sub two ERA right now. Um, you know, he's a guy who, if he was closing regularly, would have a chance to rack up a lot of saves and make a lot of money in arbitration. Um, but you know, that's not how the Rays are using him. He's kind of going back and forth with, you know, Diego Castillo, who's the team leader in saves. And so it's like for a player like 
Fairbanks. Um, you know, he could be probably frustrated that he's not racking up these saves when he's having such success, but you also have to wonder like, would he be having this amount of success on another team? Maybe, maybe not. Um, and so th- there's a lot of guys in that situation. I and mean, I think they tend to bring in players who are open-minded at the very least in, in free agency, you know, like Rich Hill and Michael Waka and Colin McHugh come to mind. I think, um, you know, the way that they, it's not that I don't even know if necessarily they use analytics more than other teams do. Cause every team uses analytics to make decisions. I think they are just maybe more set up to be, um, you know, optimized in a way like they don't make inefficient decisions with the information. Everyone's got the information, but they just don't make they make fewer inefficient decisions, I guess. And they don't pay over $10 million. I mean, that's uh, yeah, that's the threshold. Yeah, <laughs> unless you're Kevin Kiermaier. Right, who has been here forever, it seems like. He's right. been injured multiple times. Of all these players, it seems like he's the one, and I love the guy. I love watching him. He's a heck of a defensive player as well. But it seems like his time has come and gone, right? And, and yet he sticks on this roster, and he's one of the most vocal about th- this whole process. He's, he was vocal with the Snell move. Um, look, there's guys that have been traded on the injured list off of this roster. They, they don't. Yeah. Not, not only do they not overpay in free agency, they really don't go bonanza in, over, in free agency. It's usually one or two signings at about six to seven million a year. And is that, a, is that a, an element of they just know they can't compete when it comes to December and January in terms of the free agent market and they're going to use the trade as the way that they build this team? That's just how they operate? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the way that's the way they're going to get, you know, like high end talent is going to have to be through player development and through trades. So, you know, they're not going to be able to sign a player, uh, um, you know, like an all star outfielder. uh, If he becomes a free agent, they're going to have to try and trade for a player like Randy Rosarena. Now, like, again, we say like have to, you know, this is the way they need to do it. All that sort of stuff. This is with the caveat that like Stu Sternberg could spend more money. Um, you know, like he could have a payroll more than, you know, the team does, um, you know, I, they would obviously point out the structural disadvantages they feel like they have uh, playing in St. Petersburg at the Trop, um, all these sort of things, which I think are true. And, uh, you know, there's a, uh, it's kind of, un, you know, kind of unclear what the uh, end game or solution will be to this sort of never ending problem. But, you know, focusing more just like on how the baseball operations department does it is like they get a set of uh you know guidelines for how much they're able to spend and then they try and make the most out of it you know and so uh to you know like i said they're not going to be able to compete for like a star level talent among you know pitchers on on the free market you know on the on the uh, free agent market so you know if they want to bring one of those guys in they have to try and trade for them and even with regard to like this this past winter it's pretty clear that they had to uh cut payroll even after getting to the world series and so they didn't have a lot of easy spots to cut payroll i mean one of them was declining an option on charlie morton which was not something they wanted to do he was a you know beloved member of the team and then after you lop off you know Morton's $15 million, then you have basically two guys who are making significant money. It's Kiermaier and Blake Snell. Well, who are you going to get more for in a trade? Kiermaier, Blake Snell, you know, it was Snell. And so they got a pretty significant package back for him. I mean, I think the Snell trade in a way, like it looked like a salary dump and in some ways it kind of was um, in that like they actually wanted to get the salary off the books, but they got a pretty sizable return 
for Snell. I mean, like talking to evaluators around the sport, there was a lot of, if you ask them, which would they rather have, you know, what, what the, what the, um, the Rays got back for Snell or what the Cubs got back for you Darvish. Like it's not even close, you know, Um, and there's more money involved and there's, you know, extenuating circumstances. But the point is like, it's, that was not a straight, just, you know, salary dump they got a significant package back that you know they believe will keep their system going that's right um i don't think it's how really anyone romantically wants to think about baseball but like we're all grown-ups here um you know this is what they do and it works so why would they move off it so what happens if baseball makes them move off it what happens if in this next cba iteration there is a salary floor there is a cash spending floor and Tampa Bay is forced to up themselves 15 to 20% set in terms of the annual cash payroll. Is that something that they're capable of doing? I know that sounds ridiculous to ask, but you know, have they built a system that really can't attract free agents? Will they have to extend their own and do nothing else? I mean, I just, uh, I'm not sure what the players would give up in negotiations in order to get a floor. Uh, for spending. Yeah, no, I, mean, I understand they, that. Yeah. They, they have so they have such little bargaining power outside <laughs> of giving up the extended postseason that 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 to me seems like, uh, you know, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, like in the CBA, right, if they start paying, uh, you know, if, if, if the big league minimum goes up or arbitration, you know, comes after two years instead of three mm-hmm. or a free agency, whatever, like. I mean, it's going to be a real stress test, I guess, on on Stu Sternberg's financial wherewithal with this. I mean, like he has contended that they lost a ton of money uh, last year. You know, they, they it seems pretty clear just based on the attendance that like people do not go to games at the trop. And, yeah. you know, that he would like to, you know, he's, he's flirted with, uh, you know, Montreal and, and going elsewhere. And, you know, maybe it would be better to relocate the team, you know, elsewhere. I, you know, I, I have no idea. Like, I, I really don't. I mean, like, if you just, you know, ask me off the top of my head, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Put him in Nashville. That seems like it could yeah. be nice. But who knows? Like, that there's, I'm sure there's, you know, issues with that. And also, you know, their lease uh, on, you know, at the Trop runs for, you know, until 2027. So, like, I don't know if there's going to be a, a long-term, you know, a short-term solution. I mean, the A's have been dealing with their stadium, you know, nonsense for, you know, 20 years at this point. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's kind of going to be this in perpetuity, at least for, you know, the immediate future. Yeah. They seem to be operating as if they're just going to continue on down the same path. And why not? Like I said, they're projecting to 95 wins right now, even though they're having a little bit of a blip this past two weeks. Um, Yeah. So what's next? I, I love this pull quote, and I love that it's a player that gave it to you. I love that it's not one of the front office guys. It's Colin McHugh who just flat out knows, uh, you know, it's cheaper to prevent runs. <laughs> it is When you're yeah. talking about payroll and where you want to allocate your dollars, uh, you can be the Yankees and try to pay for home runs. But I think what we're learning, and, and, and I, I think something that I take a look at more than I care to admit, is that you know guys making $600,000 right now are hitting 22, 23 home runs over the first two months. You don't necessarily need to pay $30 million for that anymore. That's going to come with just the most natural player out there. But it's hard, it's hard to stop, to prevent runs on a daily basis. It's hard to have a great infield and, and good outfield arms who can also do a little bit of the hitting as well. That's that seems to be the trick here. And I don't think enough teams are going this route because it's not marketable. It's not sexy. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's starting to change, though, because, you know, one of the things about the Rays is they are, um, 
you know, probably the most influential team in the sport, um, you know, in the way that they conduct themselves. I mean, I think you can just look at sort of the, you know, the diaspora of like Ray's executives elsewhere. I mean, you know, it's, it's two of the marquee franchises in the sport, the Dodgers and the Red Sox are run by Ray's alum. And, and in the case of the Dodgers, I mean, Andrew Friedman is like, you know, one of the president of creation figures, you know, in the modern Rays, you know, it's, it's Andrew Friedman, Matt Silverman, and Stu Sternberg, who are the guys, you know, who basically turned the Rays from a laughing stock into, you know, what they are now. Um, and then, you know, Heim Bloom was his, you know, kind of chief lieutenant in, in some ways. And he is in Boston, James Click, who's a long time, uh, you know, 15 year guy, Rays guys in Houston, um, you know, Matt Arnold's in Milwaukee. You look around like, you know, Joe Madden, Derek Shelton, Rocco Baldelli, Charlie Montoya, like all these guys, you know, Dave Martinez, all these guys came out of the Rays uh, system and, you know, they are sort of propagating some of their ideas in a variety of ways. And so like you're seeing, you know, the reason like the Dodgers are so formidable for example is they take that you know andrew friedman had his you know philosophy of like depth and attacking you know problems with volume rather than you know with uh you know quantity over quality in some ways but you combine that with a 250 million dollar payroll and that's how you create a juggernaut and so i think you know what you're going to see is these big market teams like the Dodgers, like the Red Sox, you know, take some of these principles and, you know, uh, like flesh them out and spend more behind them, you know, so it's going to get tougher for the Rays and it's, it's going to get tougher for the teams who are, you know, sort of behind to catch up because you have to really have, you know, a system where, you know, these ideas are really integrated in from the, you know, the bottom up and the Rays have that. All right. I'll get you out here on this. Um, and of course, I'll be tweeting this piece out and pushing it around. It's a it's a really well done piece that brings in a lot of uh, great pull quotes from a lot of players here. Honestly, you, you did some some good homework on this one. Uh, some blasts from the past too. I love it. The uh, look the the funniest part to me about some of these player interactions is that I mean Blake Snell admittedly was he knew that trade was coming. He definitely didn't know a trade was coming this offseason, especially after you know two games away from a World Series victory. And the drama that happened with him being pulled early. Um, I don't want to go down that route. That route's been played out. But it does seem like many of these players don't know what's coming, even though there's a plan here. I mean, anybody looking yeah. at this race team knows that this is how they operate. Everything's on a one-year tenure, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of a, a roster placement. It's a really low-key, chill situation for the season. They really kind of slow play their regular seasons. And then they push a little bit at the end. They maybe make a trade deadline acquisition, which is right in, you know, in step with what they would do anyway. But then come November, December, anything's possible. So, so why are guys being blindsided? Are they just not being transparent? Is, is the game to get these guys in, make them feel like we're a family for six months, and then everything's off the table after that? I mean, I think if they were that craven about it, like – these players wouldn't feel the way they do. I mean, someone like, you know, Hunter Wood, who did not expect to be traded, was, you know, upset by it, you know, wouldn't say, wouldn't talk about, you know, how much he loved being a Tampa Bay Ray. I mean, like, I think that, 
that's the central conflict of you know both the story and in in a way of the rays it's like i said it's you know it's the ruthlessness and the you know the compassion they show and like they, they create an environment where they know that the team believes in them and the team tells them that they believe in them and it's not you know and the players at the very least believe that it's not hollow you know and and eric neander and kevin cash and kyle snyder and all the coaches there i mean they you know they insist like you know they, they, <laughs> their care for these players is genuine but that is always in conflict with you know sort of what they have to do transactionally so like i think if they were you know if it was all like false hustle and they were just sort of manufacturing empathy like it the players would see through it i think I, you know these guys aren't dummies they can tell when you know someone genuinely gives a shit about them and yeah. i think um but that is the the conflict though is like you know will there come a time down yes. the road where enough has happened that guys come in there and and don't believe and I think, you know, sometimes, like, honestly, like, I, I think we, we uh, infantilize players, you know, like, and, and, and so like, you know, there's this idea that they'll be bamboozled or tricked or whatever. I mean, these guys are grownups, you know, like, and grownups have, you know, hangups, uh, you know, about the, you know, feeling like they let down people and, and all that sort of stuff. So um, I, I, you know, I think, it's up to the uh it, i don't know it's going to be interesting to see what happens but like most guys who come in there know the score and get it and uh, i think that they also benefit because they target guys who have fewer options i mean colin McHugh didn't have 30 teams you know calling him this past winter you know saying they wanted to sign him but the rays were able to give him a good deal and he's having you know one of the better seasons of his career as a reliever and so i think you know th there's a mutual benefit to stuff like that and now it's Wander Franco time, and the best part about him is that he's carries a three hundred fifteen thousand dollars salary this year, right? I mean, the hits just keep on I mean, coming for this team. They 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 slow play this thing. They know exactly when to push the buttons. It just seems like year after year, uh, they they're right there where it need they need to be. Even in a year where Boston is kind of having a you know a rebirth uh, with some veteran players in a very similar fashion just a little bit more expensive. So you're right. The, 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 the Rays' blood is bleeding into Boston. You can see it happening with some the Garrett Richards and, and those kind of players of the world. So it's uh, it's really interesting to see how this has become sort of a Major League Baseball pandemic, right? Of, we don't need to go crazy. We don't need to push to the top of the, of, of the payroll to, to buy victories anymore. We can just kind of do it uh, on, on a trade basis, not have to worry about free agency where you're going to overpay and, and sort of extend yourself. And uh, it's very, very possible to maintain what has been. It's, it's a mini dynasty. They're not winning, but they're, they're winning enough to be relevant. Yeah. I mean, like, look, here's the, here's the thing that, uh, you know, that no one really wants to talk about because they don't want to think about people in this way. Right. Um, and they, and, and it's craven for, you know, uh, for all, for billionaire owners to think about, you know, human beings this way, but here's just like a simple question. Like how much better at baseball do you think Mookie Betts is compared to Alex Verdugo? Sure. Sure. Like uh, twice like, is, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think so. No, I think, I think Alex Verdugo is probably like 60% to 75% the player that Mookie Betts is, you know? Um, but yeah, okay. Let's say he's twice. Well, Alex Verdugo, you know, makes the big league minimum and Mookie Betts makes like $30 million. So like Mookie Betts makes, you know, 60 times, right. If I'm doing the math there, I'm an idiot, but I think I'm doing the math, right. right. Um, you know, what 
Alex Verdugo makes. And uh, I don't like, I think it sucks that, you know, that these are the sort of like actuarial uh, thoughts that, you know, are used at this point in baseball, but like, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I guess they can change the rules, but until then, like, this is how executives are going to think. And this is specifically how owners are going to think. There's so no question. you're going to see more and more stuff like it. And, and to that point, I believe that getting to arbitration quicker would solve some of this because Alex Verdugo is not only is he making six fifty this year, he's going to be dirt cheap next mm -hmm. year, dirt, you know, mm -hmm. exponentially cheaper for the next three seasons. He's got so much control left. So you can look at the, you know, the 65% of, of Mookie bets in terms of production, but they can, have, they can grow and, and evolve him into maybe 80% of Mookie bets over the next couple of seasons and, sure. and do it for yeah. $4 million. So right. there's just right. no way to compare it's apples and oranges at the end of the day. Right. And for me, like, yeah, I, whatever, if the players want to fight for, uh, you know, getting a higher minimum, if, you know, if they want to fight for getting to our sooner free agency sooner, you know, all that sounds great. But like the more that the sport, uh, disincentivizes trying to win yeah. um the less you're going to see people spending and that starts for me with expanded playoffs like if you expand the play the playoffs are already diluted if you expand the playoffs so that it looks something like last year no one's going to try and no one's going to spend because there's going to be no reason to why would you try and win the division if it gets you you know a three game uh you know like play-in series essentially what is the incentive there why don't you just try and finish in third place and then play the three game series on the road if it costs you $50 million less? Um, you know, so we'll see what happens. I don't know. I, I think the players are going to give up expanded playoffs in the next CBA and uh, probably regret that decision. But mm. We'll see. Always end on a high note. <laughs> Good stuff, Andy. He's by McCullough on Twitter. He's the senior writer for The Athletic, of course, and I'll be tweeting out this piece in just a few minutes. Thanks so much for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, my thanks to Scott. Another great NBA breakdown. We'll be doing plenty of those off-seasons with Scott and with Keith Smith, our new NBA guru as well. And, of course, to Andy McCullough from The Athletic. By McCullough on Twitter. Good follow. Great piece. Good long piece on this Tampa Bay Rays situation. Visit theathletic.com slash track. Get yourself 40% off your first-year subscription today. And, of course, Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Visit morganstanley.com slash GSE to learn more about their pre- and post-draft loan programs. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.